Welcome to the Virtual Word Rounds, a surgery podcast that helps you answer those burning questions you never had a chance to ask by the bedside. Welcome back to the Virtual Word Rounds. Uh, today we're talking about uh, a very interesting situation where a patient uh, is uh, kneel by mouth and not being able to tolerate anything orally. Uh, and they're on a bunch of medication. And for this topic, uh, we have today our star ex-pharmacist turned uh, medical student, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Serge. Thanks for having me back. My absolute pleasure. Uh, And uh, Wendy is not with us today because she's stuck somewhere in the northern coast of New South Wales in the middle of the floods, unfortunately. Oh, horrible I wish her and her family all the best I think she's safe from what I've been told um yeah my um uh, my best wishes go out to her and her family hopefully she'll be back with us uh in the in the near future um now I'm very pleased to have you here for this particular topic uh Catherine because a lot of the times in the uh, in the surgical field uh, I come across patients uh, that come in with uh, you know, polypharmacy, multiple medications. Uh, and uh, quite frequently, we need to uh, stop those medications either uh, in preparation for surgery uh, or because um, uh, they either have a bowel obstruction or they are unable to swallow them or they have something, in an intra-abdominal sepsis and, and an alias. Uh, and we, we have to uh, think about uh, whether or not those medications that they are on has to be can be stopped, uh, has to be continued, and how to change them over to an alternative route. So, first of all, I just wanted to ask you, um, what are your thoughts uh, on on this particular situation, and have you come across uh, something like that in your practice as a pharmacist? Yeah, this is actually um, a big focus for hospital pharmacists who work on a gen surge ward. But also um, pharmacists who work in, you know, like a stroke unit where patients can't swallow very well after a stroke. And in my particular case, patients who have head and neck cancers, uh, especially, you know, the throat cancers where um, swallowing is a big problem. So a lot of the time I have dealt with this kind of situation. So I'm very familiar with a scenario like this. In your in your mind, for a patient uh, to be able to tolerate oral medication, what are you looking for? You've mentioned uh, swallowing function, and uh, the speech therapists are your friends there. What else uh, has to be present uh, for your oral medication uh, to be effective? Yeah, so the digestion of the drug orally. If there are problems with gut absorption then you're going to have a problem with the pharmacokinetics of the drug. Um, So things like um, an ileus where you have um, no gut motility, a situation where um, you have an obstruction in in the bowel. Um, They're the two biggest things that come to mind. Um, But then also there are things like, um, there are things like um, patients who have inflammatory bowel disease who um, have, you know, diarrhea, um, you know, people who are vomiting a lot, um, who might, you know, have a, um, 
an infection where they're vomiting. Yeah, mostly those kind of situations, I guess, where mm. the drug itself is not going to be in the gut long enough to um, be absorbed or it's not going to pass through the gut. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. Those are those are, are probably the most common situations I'd be thinking about as well. Uh, patients that we uh, fast leading up to surgery, um, especially elective surgery, I'm talking about specifically here, elective surgery, those patients usually can have their normal medications with a sip of water. Their swallowing function is fine. Their gut function is fine. And we're just trying to reduce the amount of stuff that's in their stomach so that they don't vomit and aspirate it at induction. Uh, but in the situations where either swallowing function is absent or the gut absorbing function is affected, we need to think about other ways uh, to administer patient's medication. When I see a patient like this who's nil by mouth, I think about three main things. I ask myself, the medications that this patient has been prescribed, are they important to continue? That's one of the first things you should ask yourself. A lot of the medications that patients come in uh, from home with, they can safely be discontinued uh, during their stay and restarted once they go home. The second thing I ask myself is, if this is a necessary drug to continue, given we can't use the oral formulation, often a tablet or capsule or liquid, is there a different formulation of the drug that can be given in another um, route of administration? So, for example, is there an intravenous version of the drug? Something less invasive might be, is there a patch, so a transdermal preparation of the drug? Um, you know, suppositories. Um, there's, there's so many things that, you know, you could consider. But those are the sorts of things that I ask myself at that point. And then I guess, thirdly, I think about if we don't have this important drug that we need to continue in a different formulation, what's an alternative to this particular drug? For example, um, do we have to use that particular drug? Is there another drug in that class that we can use which is going to do the same thing for this patient, but it has an alternative formulation? Catherine, I just wanted to discuss some of the uh, specific situations that we might encounter uh, in surgical practice for patients that are unable to tolerate oral medication for some reason or another. One of those common scenarios is uh, beta uh, or to the lesser extent calcium channel blockers, things like metoprolol or atenolol. Uh, so if patients are unable to tolerate their oral medications, we can't stop them, can we? Because it's going to result in refractory tachycardia that is not good for your heart. Uh, so what alternative um, methods of delivery do we have for those drugs? Yes, so... In this situation, you're right, we can't just stop completely, but we can swap over often. Um, so, for example, if the formulation you're using, so the tablet, is immediate release, you can often crush uh, or dissolve the tablet and the patient may be able to swallow liquids, maybe, 
Um, and if that isn't appropriate for that particular patient, it can be delivered by a nasogastric tube, but still mm -hmm. you can crush and dissolve it. Mm -hmm. um, alternatively, the, the way that you know that it's definitely getting in is if you're giving an IV version of the drug, that would, that would ensure that you are um, getting what you think if there is issues with gut absorption. But, you know, like, like with, I was told in pharmacy school, with beta blockers you need to especially start low and go slow. Mm -hmm. So you'd figure out if there's an in, if you need to adjust the dose for the IV, and then you would start at a lower dose um, and go from there and see how the patient is clinically responding to that. Yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, what about uh, patients on uh, long-term steroids? Someone who comes in on say uh, 25 milligrams of prednisone daily uh, for some uh, autoimmune condition. Uh, what can we swap them to if we uh, if we must? Yeah, yeah. So if if you just stop it immediately, you're going to get what they call a adrenal crisis. So we want to avoid that. Um, again, there are IV equivalents. Um, so you can give IV dexamethasone or IV hydrocortisone, um, and depending on the dose um, you require, you can look up. Um, what the equivalent is of that corresponding steroid. The other, the other thing that comes to mind is anti-epileptic agents. Um, uh, what is your opinion on, uh, on the anti-seizure medication for patients that, that are not able to tolerate them uh, orally? Is there something uh, that we can uh, swap them to or should we just go to benzos straight away? Yeah, this is a really tricky topic. It's really an area of for specialty, but um, my initial answer would be um, avoid changing brands and, and drugs um, within the same class, even for patients who are stable on an anti-epileptic agent. This really requires a referral to the neurology team, um, and it is case by case. That is an excellent answer, Catherine. Thanks. I, th I, I do feel that that uh, is uh, frequently ignored or uh, not thought about because you know, patients come in and they haven't had a seizure for several years and they remain on their uh, standard dose. And so people just stop and don't think about it. Yeah, so a couple of other things where um, medications should be continued or situations. Um, so if you have a patient on levothyroxine, um, used to be called thyroxine, but it is essentially a synthetic um, thyroxine. You certainly need to continue that for the patient. Um, and equally, the antithyroid drugs, so um, PTU or propylthiouracil um, and also carbimazole, Mm -hmm. because um, we don't want <laughs> to cause any kind of thyroid crisis. Um, and that's something that's really key. Um, and there's other things like um, glaucoma eye drops should be continued, but, you know, gut's not going to be an issue with that because we've got a topical eye treatment there. Yeah, but it's a good point. I think we must not forget that uh, glaucoma eye drops are uh, vital for patients' eyesight. And uh, just because they're not oral medication, it doesn't mean that we don't have to chart them or don't have to continue them.
Yeah. Other things that I wanted to uh, briefly mention is um, uh, things like uh, insulin. Uh, and it is one of those cases where most of the time, I mean, insulin is delivered uh, through a subcutaneous uh, route. Uh, so the gut function is not affected. But in a fasting patient, uh, the insulin dose uh, and the diabetic, uh, you know, um, anti-diabetic medications have to be adjusted and insulin dose need to be adjusted accordingly. Uh, so usually I'd say continue the long acting insulin at half dose and place patients on a sliding scale um, uh, during the time that they're not able to uh, eat and drink. Um, other things uh, would be uh, anticoagulation drugs. So things like warfarin, or uh, a pixaban, the bigger trend that come in tablet form. Uh, if these patients are no longer able to tolerate anything orally, they, they may need to be bridged when the action of those medications wears off. So either intravenous heparin or a subcutaneous clexane. Pain relief is an, is an interesting topic that would be pro that probably be best for you to talk about, Catherine. Yeah, so um, if you've got a patient who... Um, is in alcohol withdrawal, for example, you would need to get a benzodiazepine in them. Um, and there is IV versions of benzodiazepine. So um, certainly consider that. With opioids, fortunately, there are a lot of um, IV versions of opioids. And also there's the transdermal patches. So you just need to use the um, if you've got a patient who's on, you know, um, OxyContin and then needs to be changed to a patch, um, you could try a fentanyl patch or a, a norspin, um, mm -hmm. which is buprenorphine patch. Just make sure you're referring to the opioid converter calculator. Um, and there's also some references on therapeutic guidelines about how to do that too. But certainly you can do that. Yeah, that's a very good point, Catherine. And uh, don't forget that a majority of places will have a pain uh, service uh, team that usually involves an anesthetic nurse or an anesthetist uh, that can help you with that uh, if, you're, uh, if you uh, have a patient who has um, issues with opioid resistance or requiring a lot of opioids, uh, so patches and fusions, um, even uh, suppositories can be uh, made available to help you with that. Um, on the topic of suppositories, yes. another very good uh, drug uh, that is given rectally is indomethacin, which is a non-steroidal mm -hmm. um, anti-inflammatory drug. And it is exceptionally handy in patients with uh, specifically renal colic. And uh, the, the only other thing that comes to my mind is something like uh, gout prevention medication, things like allopurinol, mm -hmm. uh, that medication can usually be stopped for a short period of time without too much trouble. Uh, but if the patient uh, remains in hospital for uh, a prolonged period of time, usually over a week, uh, and, they, and they're not on their gout prevention medication, uh, they can develop um, an acute um, flare-up of their gout. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And if you can give it uh, in some way or form, uh, then you probably should. Um, is there anything else, Catherine, that comes to your mind that we can uh, uh, mention to our listeners? Honestly, I've... I've Feel like we've covered so much so instead of our usual uh, three uh, points uh, take home messages uh, let me just hit you with a scenario uh, and i just want you to uh, really quickly sum up uh, your approach to um, 
managing this patient's medication. So are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Uh, you are the intern on a surgical team and you're clerking a new admission who is a 78-year-old woman uh, with acute small bowel obstruction. Uh, you need to chart her medications that include uh, atenolol, diabex, cartia, eye drops, vitamin D, calcium supplements, oroxin, coumadin, brufen, temazepam, lasix, and xaloprim. Tell me how you're going to manage that. Mm. Good case here. <laughs> so basically, I can tell you exactly what I do with all of them, but I'm going to ask myself those three questions. Which ones are necessary? Um, and then if not, can we stop them? And if not, what will we change it to? So I'm going to go, you know, from top to bottom, basically. Atenolol, you can actually, um, you know, give the IV version of it. Um, again, start low because we don't want to stop that immediately. Like we talked, we don't want the reflex tachycardia. With Diabex, um, it's metformin, so it's used for type 2 diabetes. Now, you can actually withhold that and instead you can give insulin because we're not then utilising the gut for absorption. We're using it the subcutaneous route. Look at the BSLs and then um, consider withholding and putting a sliding scale in there for the patient. So moving on to Cartier. So Cartier is actually an enteric-coated version of aspirin. Now, aspirin has, you know, a relatively half um, long sort of half-life. It will last for, you know, sort of seven days or so. So I think it's actually really depends what the patient's, you know, medical history is. But if they're, they're not at high risk uh, and it's only going to be like one or two days, you can actually withhold that safely, I think. I completely agree. Unless they've had a recent stent, a drug-eluting stent at that, uh, Cartier is in majority of times can be safely discontinued. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> With eye drops, the great thing is that you can continue those eye drops um, because it's not utilising the gut for absorption. And mm -hmm. I think often the reason why they're missed, which is something that you talked about before, is because when people ask about what medications a patient takes, 99% of the time, from my experience, patients forget that eye drops are actually drugs. So mm. when you're taking a history, that's a good point to take away from that. I always have to prompt my patients about, do you take eye drops? Vitamin, vitamin D um, is not something that needs to be continued. It's a preventative, you know, it's for bone health. It doesn't need to be continued. This is, you know, a more of a long-term preventative measure. And the same with calcium too. Unless they're, you know, particularly low, I wouldn't be um, worried about it. All roxine is levothyroxine or AKA thyroxine. Now we did talk about this. This is a really important one to continue. And I know from experience that those tablets are very much able to be crushed or, or um, made into a liquid. And if the patient has, you know, an azogastrotrubin, you could you give it that way. Um, majority of the time, this is how I've seen it being done. And make sure you're monitoring the patient's um, thyroid levels too if you have a question around, you know, the absorption of it. The other thing is Coumadin. Now, Coumadin is a common brand of warfarin and warfarin we know is an anticoagulant. So there are other options. And in this case, personally, I would opt for the therapeutic dose of uh, anoxaparin, the low molecular weight heparin, which will be one milligram per kilo twice a day or 1.5 milligrams per kilo daily.
uh, I'll just quickly jump on that. So coumadin is not something that you can crush and give through the nasogastric tube because it's very dependent on uh, absorption. Uh, and if your gut is not absorbing it well, it's not going to work very well. Uh, but the first thing that I would do with coumadin is I would actually check the INR levels first. So if the patient, uh, because coumadin takes a little while to wear off, uh, so you can you you only start your therapeutic clexane or intravenous heparin when the um, INR levels drop below therapeutic levels, and only if necessary as well. If this patient takes warfarin for AF, it may be safer to discontinue that for um, uh, for a period of one or two weeks uh, while the patient's recovering from surgery altogether. Yeah, this actually goes back to one of the podcasts we did a couple of weeks back now that, um, you know, if it's not necessary, you probably can withhold it for a short time. But if they're high risk, so have like a mechanical heart valve or something similar or have a really high Chad's VAS score, then um, you might need to bridge with um, something like an oxyparin. So it's a good point. Um, always check your INR. Um, so moving on to... Brufin. Brufin is the brand name for ibuprofen. So that's an NSAID. It's a non-selective um, COX-1 and 2 inhibitor. And, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't actually have to give this. We talked about other routes of administration for an NSAID, and that's the um, suppositories. Alternatively, you can actually give um, something like paracetamol IV, you know, which, yes, it's not an NSAID, but it will give some um, level of pain control um, and it's probably worth considering. And I dare say that uh, for a patient with small bowel obstruction, uh, they're probably going to have um, bigger problems than a little bit of joint pain. And so they're probably going to be on some sort of a opioid analgesia anyway. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. And moving on to temazepam. So temazepam is a uh, benzodiazepine, which is typically utilized for sleep. Um, now, you know, I believe this can actually be crushed anyway, but it, it's not a necessary um, drug. So if the patient just, you know, it doesn't use it, it's not really life or death. Um, but you can check, you know, can it be given if the patient's got a nasogastric tube in? Um, if not, just leave it, is my um, opinion. Yeah, and I and I generally tend to I generally tend to avoid uh, Timazi for acute surgical patients, especially elderly, especially connected to nasogastric tubes and IV poles. Um, mm -hmm. But if they do fall over and uh, sustain a subdural hematoma, uh, then that might be life threatening. Yeah, so um, you know, looking at it from more of a falls risk, especially in an, uh, an elderly patient, certainly it is good to. Um, try to minimize those things. Um, so the second last one is Lasix. And Lasix is fruzamide. The reason why it's Lasix is because it lasts six hours. <laughs> I just want to point it out there. Oh, that's cool. Um, IV fruzamide can be given. Now, they're not equivalent, so you do need to double-check um, what the conversion is and, you know, if it, if it does need to be given. Um, so always ask that question. Uh, because it obviously can be used for a couple of different things, um, can be used in heart failure and blood pressure and that sort of thing. But if it's for use for blood pressure and the patient's blood pressure is, you know, really well controlled, you might consider just withholding it. But if it's used for heart failure, you definitely want to continue, I think. Mm, what do you think, Serge? 
Yeah, I completely agree on that uh, point, uh, Catherine. And so for our uh, last but not least, we've got... Xyloprim, which is a brand name for allopurinol. Um, and we were talking about gout before. So, you know, you, if it's only going to be a couple of doses, um, you could probably safely just withhold that um, and just look out for signs of gout. Um, mm. And uh, I think you can also check urate levels if you're concerned. Uh, yep. Uh, and uh, but just don't forget to restart it as soon as feasible. And uh, in general, don't forget to uh, go over this patient's medications at least uh, when they go home and uh, take that opportunity to uh, optimize it uh, the best you can. Uh, th thank you very much, Catherine. That was really comprehensive and uh, very thorough. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to tell to our listeners before we wrap this up? Um, I probably just um, talk about the three main things that I always think about with um, this particular topic of kneel by mouth. Yes, please. Did you just ask yourself, does this patient need this particular medication? As in, is it necessary to continue or can it be withhold for a couple of days? And if it isn't safe to stop, um, can we give it in a different formulation so that we can bypass the gut? Um, and if not, is there another drug in the same class which can be given by a different formulation or at least even a similar, um, a drug in a different class um, that can be used for this indication? I think this approach is really useful, Catherine, and thank you uh, for going over it um, again. I think uh, uh, that that will form a, a very good basis uh, for our listeners. I think this is going to be a good time for us to wrap up this podcast. Uh, thanks again. It's it's uh, wonderful to have you here. Oh, thanks so much, sir. It's been my pleasure. Um, we've had a little bit of problems with the internet, but we got there in the end. <laughs> we have indeed uh, all the best and see you again next time see you next time virtual board rounds is available wherever you get your podcasts for updates follow us on instagram and twitter or to send your thoughts queries concerns comments you can also email us at virtualboardrounds at gmail.com until next time happy studies <laughs>